Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. If you feel you need time away from your life to learn how to solve your substance use problem for good without distractions, 12-step meetings, or other counterproductive processes, then the St. Jude Retreat with its Freedom Model program are for you. From the moment you arrive, you'll know that this place is special, effective, and different. We won't bring you to AA meetings. We won't take away your cell phone or tablet. And yes, you can have contact with your family and friends at any time. We don't treat our guests like children or criminals like rehabs do. You'll be surrounded by open fields with mountain views. The retreat is set up to help you to relax, reset, and learn how you can solve your addiction and move on with your life. You'll be learning the world-renowned Freedom Model program directly with co-developers Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar in private one-on-one sessions. You'll also have your own room with no roommates. There's no need to be uncomfortable while getting through such a vulnerable time. In addition to having your private bedroom and meals prepared by our executive chef, there's high-speed internet access so you can keep in touch with work obligations if needed. When not in class, you can enjoy one of the many amenities available, including on-site swimming pool, dry sauna, and a pond for fishing. There's also walking trails, or you can take a trip to the gym. We welcome guests from all over the world who are seeking to escape the addiction and recovery trap once and for all. Call 888-424-2626 to reserve your room today. Hi, everyone. Hey, everyone. My name is Mark Sharon. This is Michelle Dunbar. We are the co-authors of The Freedom Model along with Stephen Slate. And uh, we're going to talk about something that we've addressed in other podcasts in pieces and Actually, there was one, I don't know, a year and a half ago that we that we did a, on this topic, but we're, we're going to address it a little different. And it's called uh, the topic of uh, processes uh, of indirect change. And um, <clears throat> you may not know what that means. So let me explain. So in when when people go to rehab or they go to AA or just in the general discourse in society, People think that you have to sort of replace uh, an addiction with a hobby or some uh, indirect thing, something outside there, you know. Um, And why is it indirect? Because a direct preference change, the preference to get high, right, is what we're talking about, the preference to get drunk and heavy intoxication, that preference. Uh, If we want to change it, uh, a direct preference change is one within held within our mind uh, internally. Right. So, so a direct preference change is me deciding or Michelle as an individual deciding to stop based on the merits of our own mind. And an indirect change is something external to us that is supposed to support us, prop us up, uh, make us stronger in this battle with addiction. Uh, and it's framed as an external battle with an external means of change, an indirect 
change, one that is held outside the realm of our mind. Now, let me give you an example, and then I'll let so Michelle jump in. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, do you have an example? Well, I was thinking of your example of of NASCAR example is, I think, a really great illustration of mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Okay. So I an indirect process of change would be um, taking, let's say, naltrexone for drinking, right? You uh, You take a pill. It's external to you. And it's the idea that there's this nebulous force called addiction that happens to us, a craving that happens to so us. So this is your addiction medication. So this is your addiction medication. And you take naltrexone so that you can't get drunk. So when you drink, you don't get the buzz. So you basically block yourself from something you from want. feeling pleasure from something you enjoy. Good right. God, what a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're blocking yourself. You're, you're creating an external barrier to the buzz. Now, this is an indirect process of change because what it doesn't address is your desire, your mental internal desire, your want to be drunk. So here you are and you, let's say that because you haven't directly dealt with your preference, which is I like to be drunk, um, and you take the pill, now what you are is a person that still wants to get drunk but is now frustrated because he or she can't. Right. Now that's like the NASCAR example I give in the book where they, where cars were going over 210 miles an hour, people were dying in in racing cars. And so NASCAR implemented a restrictor plate in the carburetor, which stops the cars from going over 200, 205 miles an hour. The racers were pissed off. They didn't agree to this. Right. Because just because they restricted the cars like, Naltrexone restricts you from getting drunk doesn't make the drivers of the cars lovers of going slower. Right. They have a desire to go faster and faster and faster. If they could go 400 miles an hour and make it around that damn track, they would do it. And eventually the technology would probably get there. For sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And now people would die and there's risk involved with all that, but that's a different conversation entirely. So we can impose all kinds of external indirect measures to stop ourselves from getting high, all kinds of replacements, all kinds of activities, all kinds of recovery protocols and processes and meetings and therapies and, you know, medications. And none of it is direct within the mind. Yes. This is like, I I had this student a few years ago, um, uh, online student, a uh, Zoom student. And she was actually one of my first ones that I taught over Zoom. And and she was a yoga instructor. She taught 50 yoga classes a week. And every night she'd come home and polish off two bottles of wine. Right. And, you know, she felt absolutely disgusted with herself and confused because one of the indirect processes of change that you're told will help you is exercise, nutrition, yoga right. for the relaxation, he- the healthy lifestyle. The healthy, the healthy lifestyle. lifestyle. Right. I can't tell you how many people we've had come to the retreat who are marathon runners, who have done Ironman triathlons, who have, um, who are pictures, models of perfect health. They'll be like, "Oh, I'm. I don't eat. You know, I'm. I'm vegan and this, but they like." drinking heavily. They like doing heroin. They like doing some of these other things. So, so the idea that you could distract yourself or become the perfectly spiritual, perfectly physically apt and happy, supposedly happy individual. And here, here's what's interesting. 
I'm going to jump in here because you could be happy and have an incredible life. How many guests have we had oh, like that? Yeah, that they have plenty of money. They have a good relationship. They, they've Beautiful been highly kids. successful in their careers. Wonderful kids. Yeah. Yeah. And yet they really still like getting drunk or high. They're drunk in a hotel dying. Yeah. With pancreatitis or shooting heroin uh, or doing cocaine in the closet, you know. And the point is, you have a spectrum of all these people, everything from the most horrible living conditions in poverty all the way to the to the most affluent, wonderful lifestyles and everything in between. And yet there's a preference for heavy intoxication held within the mind of the individual. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's something that you enjoy. It's something that you feel like you need to be happy. And, and so, so these indirect processes of change that we go through, when you go into recovery, when you go to a treatment program and you're told all of these things are going to help you to stay sober and then they don't. I mean, how many people have we had come to the retreat who were like, picture perfect models of being in recovery. They went to every meeting, they did the service work, they were uh, getting physically fit, they were going back to school, they were doing all of these wonderful things, their life got better. Like we've seen people who have you had five years, 10 years, 20 years of abstinence, their life got better, it got awesome. And then they're like, I don't know what happened one day, I just found myself drunk again. And I that was it. Yeah, you know, I was you, off and running. You can only distract yourself from something you want for only so long. Yep. And uh, there's a great line in the book that Steve wrote, you know, um, if you're somebody that believes that physical fitness is the thing you need to distract yourself, what happens when you're at that company party? Are you going to drop down and do, do 20, 20 push-ups? <laughs> Such a great line. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I know people actually that, almost do that. They're like, I got to get to the gym. I got to get out of here. And, and it's a sad commentary because it's torture. Yeah. It's a real form of, of mild torture that we put ourselves through because the very thing we want, which is to be drunk and high, we haven't addressed or looked at. We haven't looked at our wants. We haven't seen why do we like it so much? And that's what the freedom model really explores in, in a large part is what do you like about it? Why is that objectively real? Is it giving you the, the quality of life that you actually think it's providing? Is the drug or heavy use doing that? And when you attack it directly like that, and I, I, I've used the analogy of the disco ball, you know, you have this all these beliefs wrapped around this shiny object in your mind. When you do that um, and you directly look at it and you say, yeah. Maybe I like it for this reason, but I don't think that that's real. I was just talking to, we were talking to a student here at the retreat um, at breakfast. And she said, you know, I, I, I just, I like it. And, and part of it's the license to misbehave, to be deviant. And uh, I get that. I totally get that. But does the drug actually make you deviant? That needs to be explored. Now, at you in the audience, the listeners may think, yeah, it does. It changes me. I'm different on the drug. Yeah, I'm a different person when I'm high or when I'm drunk. That's right. So we need to explore that because that that build that cooks in a whole bunch of value. Yeah, it does. So a direct preference change would be: is that value real? Is the drug creating a different personality in you? The drug. 
and giving the drug that credit. Now, I can uh, here, I'm going to jump ahead and tell you, no, it doesn't. But you may not believe that because you don't have the evidence. So I would suggest at that point to read the chapters that address that or go online and, and do the online course where we where we address that and we debunk that value. Yeah. We, we get rid of it. Go yeah, ahead. it can't look at it, what we had to what we have to keep explaining to people is you're you all the time and in your mind you're always to a certain extent sober, like you're always thinking and making decisions. And, but when you feel that tickle in your brain, you allow yourself to behave differently, perhaps. Um, and I can tell you from experience now that I don't, um, that, yeah, you've run that experiment. I've right? run that yeah, experiment, too. you know, too. where, where if, you know, I've been intoxicated more than once in the last 12 years and, and I, I'm very mindful. I watch myself and, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not a different person. Um, I may allow myself to be a little sillier than I usually am, but I'm pretty silly. But, but you said the words, you allow yourself. Yes. You, you give yourself the license to misbehave or have fun or act differently in a certain setting, right? Yes. Well, that's the thing I was going to say too, is I have also not been intoxicated and act and allowed myself to act sillier in different environments. Um, you know, when you're at a, a, a like a family picnic, you may act one way. When you're at work, you act a different way. When you're with your friends, you act like out with your friends, seeing live music, you act a different way. Like that is always you. And you don't need, that's what we were explaining. You don't need intoxication to do that. That's right. You can misbehave, right, as an adult. Um, in any way you see fit, the drug isn't what's making you misbehave. Uh, you just said it in a weird, in a different way, though, the way that you're always there or you're always home or something. You're, it's always, well, it, you're always you. Yeah, you're always yeah. you. You're always you. It's, there's there's not, I used to think I was Jekyll and Hyde. And they, people oh, say that all the time in, re all the time in recovery. That, oh, yeah, it's, it makes me, you know, I go, I become this person or this person. And if you look at your behavior when you're drunk, you're not the same every time. Yeah. So, so I had a friend of mine just say, uh, I asked him, do you drink at all? And it, the topic just came up because no, in my family, when we drink, we break out in cuffs. Right? I Yes. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? Yes. Yeah. It's hilarious. It now hilarious. I didn't, I didn't argue the point. I'm like, right. it's We're like not time or the place. Probably a wise idea. If that's your belief <laughs> yeah, to not, sure. to not hit the bottle. Yeah, if you believe that, that, that becomes your reality. <laughs> so I just thought it was awesome. Uh, I break out in cuffs. So, um, but but that's a belief, right? That's yeah. a belief in in the powers of alcohol or drugs, and and the, they're not objectively true. They're not. There's no intrinsic thing that makes drugs uh, make you think differently, right? And so I ran the experiment uh, years ago, many years ago. Now I've been moderately drinking now for I don't know. It's been uh, like 12, 15 12, yeah, years. It's been a while. It's, uh, long enough. Anyway. Yeah. Um, when I first started out and I was doing the research for the Freedom Model, the book, um, I said to my wife, you know what, I'm going to get a bottle of vodka, sit at the kitchen table, get hammered and see if it changes me. Right. You know, right. It, it, oh, God. And, and <laughs> she was home. The kids weren't home. And I, I said, OK, so back in the day, I could polish off a bottle of liquor. Well, I can tell you, I can't do that. Now. <laughs> no, God. No. Um, so I drank about, I don't know, maybe a third of the bottle. and I was totally shit based. And but here was what was interesting. Once I decided to have control in my mind, yep, 
I asked my wife after I said, did I behave differently? She goes, you were a little slower, but no, if, if somebody didn't know you, they wouldn't even know you're drunk. Now my body, my mind was observing my body and my body was incredibly drunk. Very, if I had to, you know, take a sobriety test, there's no way I probably blew a three Oh, but the point is, is once I became mindful of my mind and really thought about my thoughts, they didn't change. I didn't go into a mystical realm. I didn't get distracted. I didn't, I became acutely aware that my processor was screwed up yes. and slowed down. I became acutely aware of my body being very hot and numb and, and feeling dizzy. And your motor functions may have been a little off. That's, that's really what it came down to. I could mm -hmm. tell that my nervous system wasn't working properly. We've all been drunk. Obviously, if you're in the audience, you, you get it. Um, but the fact that I could know that in the realm of my mind yes. tells me that my mind hasn't gone anywhere, hasn't been changed, hasn't been manipulated by the alcohol. Because how would the alcohol know how to manipulate me? It's not alive. It doesn't have motive in a, in a mind of its own. So you're the only one in there. You are you, drunk or not drunk, high or not high. People will tell me, here's another thing that happens. They'll say things like, when I go to the crack house, you know, then I'm with a prostitute and, and I would never do that. And I say, well, of course not, because a crack house is set up that way. Yeah. Right. You go to the crack house with the intention of doing that deviant behavior because that's what you want at that time. It's not like you brought the hooker home, you yeah. know? Um, and so, and it's not like you went outside and smoked crack in front of the cop car, you know? So you still have volition. You still are thinking, you know? So it's behind those walls and that set and setting that you behave that way, just like a bar, you might decide to act differently. So we cook in this massive amount of value. And if you want to get rid of that value, you have to do it in your mind in a direct way. Is the things I believe about the drug true? Yeah. So let's now let's go to, let's talk about how you like stop because there's so much value cooked in when you do it repeatedly and you use it for these specific things, for the license to misbehave, for the lowered inhibitions believing that you needed to have fun, believing that you needed to deal with whatever. Um, and then you cook in the ritual and all this stuff. So you build this huge value. Okay. And, and when we were having the conversation with my student this morning, um, yeah, we have those conversations at breakfast, just by the way, <laughs> yeah, that's what the retreat, <laughs> that's is, what all the about. retreat is all about. <laughs> so we're having the, this conversation with her, you know, she's like, I, 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 boy, I still, there's, I still, I'm afraid that I'm going to go back to doing it. And it's like, well, I understand that because the value is still there. It's right. still well intact. So there comes a point when, when you're kind of on that fence, right. And you're yeah. like, I, boy, I just can't imagine my life without it. Still I'm trying, I can see glimpses of it. Um, but, but you know, there's still that pull. I really believe I need it for certain reasons. And, and so there's a, there's a place where a certain amount of self-discipline has, has to come in in order to test out how much you still like it, in order to test out, can I be happy without it? Do I still really need it? Um, and I think nearly everyone has to be there for a certain amount of time. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I, I, everybody's different. So everybody's internal preference in their mind is built and constructed in different ways. If you are the type of person 
like the student who has invested just about everything into the secret lifestyle of being an addict and took on that identity. Um, it, it might, you really have to dig in and debunk a lot. And then you have to be willing to discipline yourself. And I don't use the word discipline very often with this because I don't like it. I don't, I'm right. It sounds like a struggle. Yeah. And, and, but if, if the habit is just such a part of your life and the process of debunking the mythology is going to take some time because you have so many myths that you believe in, then sometimes you just got to give yourself enough runway yes, that's with really a little funny. bit of discipline to say, okay, I got to give myself a chance to get at least get rid of the ritual part for a bit. Yes. And then, and then, and maybe have a couple of small little temporary replacements that distract me while I'm addressing directly within my mind, the mythology. Yes. Right. So there's two things that happen. So now, if you don't have that deep of a preference and it's based on just a couple of lies that you've told yourself and, and those can be addressed very quickly in various chapters in, in the freedom model, either online or, or in the book, then, then the direct preference change is done very quickly and you just move on with your yeah, life. Yeah. A lot of people do that for yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say in the public, a lot more people are oh, in yeah. that category. More than half. Now, the people that come to the retreat usually are people that need a lot of handholding. They need to actually separate themselves from their lifestyle because it's so problematic and deep. The mythology is ingrained in their psyche. They believe it. It's a religion to them. That is a different beast. You're going to have yeah. to really give yourself a chance. And you may need to talk with us on private instruction or come to the retreat or whatever. You may need that kind of handholding. Um, just to break the habit enough to learn. Yeah. I mean, there is, there's so many facets to this because like with the student that we have here now, she's, she was fully invested in like the, the all the uh, mythology surrounding what substances can do for her. She's still there struggling with that part. She was fully invested in this idea that she was an addict, took on that identity almost happily and giddily, yeah. you know, because there is, there's a certain amount of benefits to being an addict and being kind of a screw up in your life. You know, you, you always have the excuse to absolutely yeah, when you want to fail, when you want to avoid risk. Yeah. A lot of things. Yeah. Fully invested in, in this, this persona of this, this double life that she's living. Yeah. That and, that's really a big part of her ritual too. Yeah. Is the double life and Yep. And this, the secretive enough, the taboo, the secret, you know, yeah. she's got a really great career and res well, well-respected career, but then she's got this dark side. Right, the license to misbehave. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and really, I think the only reason she's, she came to the conclusion she wanted to make a change is because she still really does. She likes the, the persona that she has in her career. And and feels proud of it, but this other lifestyle was it's competing, was competing with it, and starting to kind of win a little bit. And and so so ideally, when people come to us like that, they're like, I still really like this this fun stuff. I still really feel like I need it to be this cool chick, this fun person. Not really ready to grow up in that nature, but I still I really do love the fact that I have a great career and I'm well respected in my career. You know, and so that these are hard things to to parse out and figure out. But I, but the thing, the key, the linchpin is knowing. I think that that 
the benefits internally that you believe the drug giving the drug the credit for all this benefit yeah is a lie it is a lie it's, it's not real it's not real that's you playing a mind trick that's the that's the key yeah that a drug cannot go into the realm of your mind and change your circumstances or what you think or how you behave so when you realize that when that gets internalized you'll never desire it again and i think some people want to hold on to that yeah. fantasy oh yeah which I, is fair absolutely absolutely <laughs> even i look at even after 20 years of abstinence i was abstinent 20 years i you know i my life was full and wonderful without it i knew alcohol could never control me ever again. It never did. Um, I knew I didn't being high. I, it didn't appeal to me anymore. Um, when I, I, I kind of needed a little bit of experimentation when I drank again to test out those theories, I went into moderate drinking, still believing in some of the magic. Yeah. Right. So, so it was a huge letdown. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, it really doesn't do all those things for you. It doesn't make me, you know, lower my inhibitions. It doesn't make me funnier or more fun or more sexual or any of those things. It just is a little tickle. Like it, it is, it is a hard thing to let go of. It can be the, 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 but here's what's interesting is if you and I, let's say had never been a part of the recovery society. I know for a fact that I personally would have gotten over this drinking and drug oh, thing God, yeah. much sooner. I wouldn't have hit the bottle so heavy. I wouldn't have been doing Coke. I wouldn't have done any of those things because I can remember being 14. I started when I was 12 and by 14, I was pretty cooked and, and thought, I don't really want to do this anymore. But then I thought I was doomed. I was doomed yes. that this was my lot in life until I was going to land in a rehab, which by 19, I was in a rehab. And, and so if I didn't have the belief system behind it and all the mythology behind it, sure. I, I intuitively knew that it was getting boring within two years. Yeah. So you see these people that hit it for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and they do that because somebody came along and said, this is how you're going to be and you're never going to like anything more than this. I think that's- What a lie. What a terrible thing to tell somebody. I think that's the one of the real tragedies of- the addiction disease paradigm and the culture that is uh, that was created within our society within Western culture is people will label themselves. They don't even have to be told by somebody else. They can watch a TV show or they take it on. They, they, yeah, you they take, take it, it on. on. You're like, you start wondering like, oh, something's wrong with me. I'm drinking a little more than my friends. Um, and especially if you're a little bit insecure and you're down on yourself, um, once you start to wonder, am I out of control? It's done. Yeah. That's that because yeah. It, and then it's going to be reinforced and reinforced. Yeah. And then if you ask the then question, then you go get help, oh, right? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll be indoctrinated, pulled into the trap. And then it's a money-making scheme for the treatment industry to just keep you there forever. You know, um, and what? then you start on the process. We're back. We came full circle of you know trying the indirect processes of change. I'm gonna, I'm gonna not drink and not drug and go to meetings. Right. I'm gonna follow my aftercare plan. Yes. And oh yes, I have to get a coffee commitment at the meeting, and I have to find a sponsor. 
and I have to, oh, I should start an exercise program. Right, because all of these indirect things are meant to prop up a weak person, a person that has a, a weakness to the susceptibility of the powers of drugs. Yeah. And all of what I just said is made up because a drug doesn't have power. You're not susceptible because you have no disease. There's nothing biologically wrong with you. You're not weak. You're not weak. It's not a weakness argument. The reason you drink and drug is based on a preference that you've learned yeah. and that you can change. Yes. You can change your mind, right? We say that all the time about everything else, but, but when it comes to drugs and alcohol, you can't change your mind. You can. And now, oh, by the way, that it's infected everything. So now you can't change your mind about food. You can't change your mind about smoking cigarettes. Yeah. You can't change your mind about drinking coffee or, you know, you Anything. name it, shopping or video games or it, look at, it, you know, and then, then we have all this kind of extraneous research that's all flawed, by the way, that, oh, yeah, it changes your, uh, your dopamine, dopamine receptors. receptors in your brain. And so, you know, gambling is going to keep going there and you're going to keep wanting. No, nobody gets addicted to something they don't like. And I'm going to say that ad nauseum. Um, I don't particularly like gambling. I gamble once in a while. I don't like it. It and, doesn't and, do that for me. And where does like develop in the mind? Not in the brain. Exactly. Not in your dopamine receptors. That's not where a, a preference is born and created and sustained. A preference is sustained in your mind because yeah. you mindfully, outside the brain tissue, outside this vessel, you think to yourself, I value this for personal reasons. Yeah, so, exactly. And once those reasons change, your preference goes away. And then your dopamine receptors go back to something else yeah. that it finds attractive that or, or is fed attractiveness with right so so you're not this minion of a chemical yeah it's just not true and uh so we we have to we have to get away from indirect processes of change we have to get away from identifying as a weak individual that needs some sort of thing to prop us up and force us to behave differently force us into abstinence. You don't have to take naltrexone to stop yourself from drinking. All you're going to do is be frustrated because you haven't mindfully looked at your mind and said, hey, why do I like this so much? And is it getting me what I want? I want to just tie it in now with our life movements. So if you're doing the online program, you're all your member of the, the membership, um, there is a life movements portion. And people have uh, talked about this on the Freedom Model groups. And on Facebook, um, that swing the bat list that you're doing is all about moving on with your life. It is not about replacement. Now, with that said, what, what I said earlier still matters. And that is while you're changing your habits and while you're actively working to change your preference, you're challenging the benefits, you're learning all about what substances can and can't do for you, you're learning that you're you're trying to shed the addict identity, you're doing all these things, you're, you're working to actively change your preference, this swing the bat list is going to help propel you forward and, and to help you to move on with your life so you're not chained to wanting, you know, feeling like, you're staring at your past. So it's, it's not, we're not talking about replacements. Here, here's the nuance. And let me tell you the difference because people get really confused about this. 
there's one nuance that separates swing the bat list and moving on with your life away from an addiction, just moving on and replacing it mindlessly, hoping that you can distract yourself long enough so that you won't want it anymore. Okay. So here's the difference. And I'm going to use an analogy and you've heard this in some of the other podcasts, but it bears repeating. A lot of this podcast is a regurgitation, but we have to do this like every 10 podcasts, the same topic because people just don't seem to well, get it's a it. Tough, it. It's tough. It's tough. Well, yeah, it's huge. This is yeah. the, the linchpin kind of. So, so let's say you rode a bicycle from the age of seven till 15. Your bicycle, if you were like me, is basically your world because it's your means of independence. It's freedom. Yeah, it's freedom, right? It's it's important to you. Yeah. Then you get your learner's permit, you get into a car, you get your license, and the first day your father says, you know, uh, Donna, you can go out and go see your boyfriend and enjoy your life. Go. Be safe. You get in the car and you drive away. And here's the difference. In that scenario, you have genuinely moved on, let's use that term, moved on from the bicycle because the bicycle, you didn't get in the car to replace the bicycle as the motive. Right. Now, let's say that your bicycle was so utterly, completely, dominantly important to you that it was causing you all kinds of problems. You kept it in your bedroom. You completely isolated from people because you were working on it in the garage. You were pushing off all your your studies and everything so that you could race your BMX bike on the weekend and all this kind of was my life. <laughs> um, and, and, and it was an all-encompassing thing. And then one day somebody said, listen, you got to get your license so you can work and make deliveries, the pizza deliveries and make some money. And da, 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 da. All right. So you get your license. And, but really all you want to do is be on the bicycle all day. And so every single time you got in the car, you're like, I better get in the car so that so I, I don't get, ride my bicycle. So I don't ride my bicycle. <laughs> now that's an absurd thing, right? That would be absurd. That would be kind of strange, right? But it's not strange if the bicycle was that alluring to you. Now it's exactly the same. That's replacement. That that's is. mindlessly replacing. All right. Mindlessly meaning. I, I better do this. I have to go do this other thing right to, now. I have to get in the car. And while you're in the car, you're looking in the rear view at that bicycle going, oh, keep driving, keep driving. Ah, yeah. oh, fuck it. I, I'm going back to my bicycle. Yeah, yeah. Turn the car around. Um, so, so which path are you going to have with the intention of moving on and allowing yourself that freedom to say, yeah, there's probably better vistas up ahead. But it can't be done if you continue to retain the value of the bicycle. And that's the problem. If you retain that preference, I don't give a shit if it's a Rolls Royce to move on with. You're not going to move on. You're going to turn it around, park the Rolls Royce in a field, let it rot in a swamp while you ride your bicycle around in circles. Yes. Okay. So that's the difference. I decided to look at my addiction as no longer an addiction as a choice, a series of choices and a preference. And to change my preference first. Yep. Now, what Michelle said, the nuance can be there might, it might not be so black and white. You may have to challenge your benefits, right? And continue to do that and devalue the bicycle as you drive and start dreaming and realizing I kind of like moving on. I kind of like this car thing. Yeah. I like this Rolls Royce. 
Keep focusing on those benefits, the benefits of the change. What am I getting from it? Little things, notice little things like, oh, I wouldn't have, like for me, when I first, I said the first few weeks that I was abstinent, I got pulled over for speeding, which I got pulled over quite a bit when I was drinking and driving. Um, and I remember when I got pulled over, um, I instantly, my heart's racing, but I, I realized that I didn't have any drugs in the car. I hadn't been drinking. Um, and if the worst I got was a speeding ticket, I was willing to take it. I was so relieved. And, and so I would hang on, I would collect these benefits, these benefits of the change and, and focus yeah. on them so that the benefits I perceived I was getting from this, the, the other lifestyle, the heavy substance using lifestyle seemed to start to diminish for me, even without me challenging them. Okay. So even before we didn't have the benefits of chapter 17 through 20, when we stopped, no, there was no, it was a natural progression because we had the guts and the to desire. Test it. You had to test life to, to, to see if we could be happier changing There's a deer running through the field right there. Oh my gosh. Oh, she's coming towards the road. <laughs> she's, is it a box? I don't know. Sorry. Uh, we have two windows here and we see animals running by. It's kind of strange. I hope there's no cars coming. <laughs> I'm like nervous now. But um, we don't get that much traffic on this road. I think it'll be fine. <laughs> she's coming to our land, though, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, she's going to be crossing here. In <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. We get distracted <laughs> by nature. <laughs> so Another benefit. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, sometimes you have to test the benefits go on faith, have willingness to change and give yourself the opportunity to do both things simultaneously, challenge the benefits, educate yourself on the fact that they're not real, that the drug has no power, educate yourself on that there's no nebulous force called addiction in which you are battling, educate yourself on the fact that you're not weak, there's no willpower vessel that no. you have less willpower than the next person get rid of these concepts and then just look at it and say i have a preference i can challenge that i like preference. this for certain reasons what are those reasons and are they real are they objectively real and can i let them go and then move on and swing the bat at other things and sometimes as we've said and this will be it it's sometimes there goes the deer up through the other window oh <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> um sometimes you have like you may still be dabbling right so you have periods of abstinence followed by periods of of maybe experimenting, experimenting with, with substance use when you're experimenting with substance use open your mind and really pay attention yeah don't keep writing the same scripts while you're yeah, getting like high. Mm, how good is this is my am i sober in my mind while this is going on can i change my behavior so that people don't know that i'm drunk there's a whole lot of people that think that it changes them but then like i maintained kind of a steady drunken level for several months before i quit and I don't think people knew the difference at that point. Yeah, you, you you really, you. the point is all the same variety of behavior that you exhibit sober, you can exhibit drinking. So if you are drinking and you want to test the fact that alcohol or drugs don't change you, then just don't change when you're getting high. Exactly. Don't Pay change. Attention. Pay attention that you have that ability. Now your body is going to be fucked up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, look at you shouldn't get go drive a car. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. You're watching <laughs> children, little children. You shouldn't anything that requires motor function or quick response time. Yeah, quick, quick. Or, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, like reflexes, or, quick reflexes. Or good logical 
uh, problem solving capability is going to be slowed down. Everything's going to sure. be slowed down or sped up depending on the drug. Um, so you have to be mindful of that. But in the confines of your home without people around, really test it out if that's where, if that's where you're if that's at. That's where you're at. Absolutely. Okay. So I think we beat this one to the ground. Um, I think this was an important one I though because we kind of really honed in on what we've been hearing in the groups yes. and, and in our online students and things like that. And I just want to take a minute to thank all our listeners. Our um, our downloads are way up and we are, I think, in the top three now of addiction podcasts. And so thank you so yeah. much. And if our podcasts are helping you, please subscribe, share it with your friends, share it on social media, let people know that we exist um, because uh, too many people out there are getting the wrong information and they're stuck. Um, let them know about Freedom Model International Membership, where you can get access to our online programs, our books. You can talk with us once a month for a two-hour period. It's pretty tremendous. We have a great newsletter that has all a lot of different interesting articles and videos. Um, we have four new classes a month. Yeah, four new classes. One class, new class a week. It's, I mean... For all for thirty nine ninety five a month thirty nine dollars less than forty dollars yeah, a that, month just, you can change everything you've ever thought about addiction can change even you even get a, a five part seminar series on why you shouldn't go to AA with all yep. the facts I I run through all the facts of AA it's history and uh, and, and people love that we there's also freedom model for the family online yeah. program included in that and all its video tutorials. And then the the online program that you receive has 65 lessons. We go through the entire book, Michelle and I, in this yeah, format, in this teach format. you. So it's, it's a ridiculous value because it's the entire solution to an addiction problem. Uh, all yeah. in one little, and then you keep yeah. it for as long as you want. If you want it for six months, keep it for six months and cancel. If you want it for a year, if you want it for a month, keep it for a month and then cancel yeah, some people whatever do you want to do. Yep. And, um, and you can go there and enroll at online.thefreedommodel.org. We're going to keep talking about it because it really, we've gotten a lot of feedback and, um, it's saving it. Like people are, feel like it's saving their lives. Yeah. And lastly, if you need more help, we have freedom model private instruction, which is one-on-one -on -one classes over zoom, or, uh, you can come to the retreat, St. Jude retreat, which we've been running for 33 years and be taught by Michelle and I and see deer <laughs> running through the field. And then <laughs> it's true. It's, it is an added benefit. It is beautiful. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so the retreat, people come here for three to four weeks and they learn the freedom model that way if they need the chaos of their life to stop or they just feel like they need to physically be somewhere else to get their start. Yeah. Um, call Danny Wyke at 888-424-2626 for any of the options if you want more information. Yes, thanks everybody. Have a great week. All right, take care. Bye. Hey everyone, Michelle here. I'm so excited to let you know about Freedom Model International Membership. Get support as you deprogram from the 12 steps and the shackles of addiction recovery. For a low monthly membership fee, you get the Freedom Model online program, which includes our books, our audiobooks, workbooks, and all the additional lessons. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family online program as well. You will get a live members-only two-hour question-and-answer webinar with Mark and myself the last Wednesday of every month. And each week, we're going to add a new video lesson. We call this the What We Learned This Week series. 
Lastly, we also have the Freedom Model International Monthly Newsletter, where we're going to tackle the current events and the latest research for you. All this for just $39.95 per month. You can stay a member for as long as you need, and you can suspend or cancel your subscription whenever you're ready. Go to online.thefreedommodel.org to sign up today.